Welcome to Tools for Liberty, a program designed to intrigue you, to stir your nerves, and to offer your mind critical thinking and adventure. I am Jay Dylan Proctor, and here with me in Cord Purgatory is Amanda Sparrow and Anthony Alegria. Normally we each introduce ourselves, but Amanda is actually outside speaking with our resident anchorite. So Anthony, would you go ahead and cut to Amanda? Today at Tools for Liberty, we're going to be talking to our resident anchorite, Athanasius. Athanasius, are you in there? Hey. <laughs> and just as a reminder, an anchorite is someone who's walled up um, at a church and to spend time for penance and reflection. So stay tuned. Now, there's a lot of conversation to be had about both an anchorite and St. Valentine, as St. Valentine's Day is coming up. But before we discuss any of that, we're actually going to talk about Logan Paul and the demonetization on YouTube. And at the end of our program, there will also be a devotional. But before we go any further, let's jump right into this conversation about Logan Paul. And Amanda is now back with us. She's been slipping back into the studio. And let's let her fill us in on exactly what is going on with this incident with Logan Paul. Amanda, would you keep us up to, to speed on this whole situation? All right, so Logan Paul is a YouTuber um, or a vlogger, and a lot of his videos are on YouTube. And apparently he is famous enough to not only have lots of imprint on YouTube, but he also has merchandise that he sells through his line. Um, there's people who follow him quite uh, fanatically. Um, he has kind of a, his own little fandom around him. Anyways, he um, was filming an episode in Japan in, the for in a forest there that is actually known as Suicide Forest, and while there, he filmed a dead body. He would later apologize, saying that it was in poor taste, but people began to wonder if he was truly um, apologizing or if it was just kind of because he got caught or he was getting in trouble. Also, more recently, he published another video on his vlog where he was tasing a dead rat and was poking at a fish that was out of water. And this continual kind of odd behavior and um, really just kind of uncouth behavior started this controversy where people were beginning to be very interested in YouTube and how it regulates its the various videos that are put on the website. Also, how much power does YouTube have in enforcing rules? Now, today, this kind of controversy has come back up. It's been a while since he's done all this, but it came back up because today YouTube has issued a statement that says that because of Logan Paul's recent behavior, they are going to temporarily stop his ads that are on YouTube. So he still has a channel, he can still post videos on YouTube, but any kind of ads that would play, you know, kind of on the side of YouTube or right before any other videos, that's all stopping. Uh, some websites have estimated, or some news outlets have estimated that this is gonna cost Logan Paul about a million dollars a month in revenue because he will no longer have these ads. So this is kind of something, it's been in our pop culture for a while, um, also understanding like really what do, what is the responsibility of kind of these independent uh, vloggers and YouTubers and various people like that. What do they have in impacting uh, culture and videos and especially a lot of times on YouTube you think of young minds. Do they have a responsibility and does YouTube have a responsibility and then how that impacts our world. Okay, so this is really great for us to have a conversation about because there's a lot of layers to this that are really interesting. First off, there's the whole incident which begins with the, the suicide forest and filming the dead body. There's been a lot of people who said this is in bad taste, it's immoral to do this, and there's been a lot of different sides around that. And then, of course, there's the secondary argument that is, does he actually have genuine apologetic feelings or is he only portraying apologetic feelings because he's been caught and this is sort of how people react when they're wanting to, to have their, their reputation go unmarred 
how do we deal with this? And another question that comes out of that with that first situation is how do we as society implement forgiveness? And this is something which I really think that we can start off talking about because forgiveness in the church, this is one of the tools that Christ gives to his disciples, especially right after Christ goes to the cross and resurrects in the Gospel of John, the first thing that he really tells the disciples that's anything like in a commandment is he tells them to go out and forgive others. Now that happens in a time when there are a lot of people who are wanting to kill not only Jesus but the disciples. There's a lot of tension going on there and he says forgive people, especially forgive those people who are in mobs who don't really know what's going on. And when I say mob, I don't mean something mafia-like. I mean mob as in people who are just angry, they're screaming, not really being rational. Where does forgiveness lie in our society. And again, we are all, we're ministers in the Church of the Nazarene, those of us here, and one of the things that's important in the, the Christian value system is to be people of forgiveness, and this is something which has really fallen to the wayside in society. So I want us to start off this conversation on the theme of forgiveness, and just with that first element to see what we think about this, what, how should we respond as people when we see something like this? If somebody apologizes, do we demand that their apology be sincere? Do we just want a, a plastic apology? Are we willing to forgive people in our society when they actually make mistakes? Amanda, what do you think? Um, and I think we have to further understand, I think, forgiveness. And forgiveness never takes somebody off the hook for the consequences of their actions. Uh, forgiveness doesn't necessarily say that, you know, it you, what you did was okay, right? It, it really is just saying, though, that that responsibility for taking... Uh, taking the penance or getting the penance is going to rely on something else. It's where, especially when, when Christians forgive someone, they're basically saying uh, God is the one who, who will ultimately decide the consequences for what your actions. And so, especially in this instance with uh, Logan Paul, it or Paul Logan, I don't I can't <laughs> get his name flip-flop, but either way, um, this YouTuber is whether or not his apology is sincere, we see this one action that was definitely in bad taste and um, could potentially be harmful. And he asked for forgiveness, he apologized, and everyone was kind of like, okay, this this controversy is going to die down, whatever. And then he continued kind of this, it's becoming more than just an incident, but a habit of maybe some questionable behavior. And again, this doesn't mean that we don't forgive, but it does mean we continually hold him to a standard of accountability, that he's going to have to change this poor behavior if he wants to continue being kind of this YouTube idol. If people are going to watch him, he can't keep doing things that are considered harmful to himself or others. Um, so I think, though, it is interesting, though, where we're relying on this outside source, YouTube, to be the judge of his actions to kind of be the ones that are collecting his penance or giving out the punishment, which can be scary uh, because corporations, especially I think like YouTube and others, are going to ultimately do what they feel like is in their best interest, not necessarily what is in the best interest of morally or what is going to actually produce good behavior. So I think there's a lot going on that needs to be uh, deciphered out in how we interact with this person and, and similar behaviors. Yeah, and I think you brought up some good points there. There actually needs to be real repentance, and that's one of the things which is essential to the, the notion of forgiveness within the church, is that God's grace is unconditionally offered to people. However, 
Grace is not cheap. It's not a petty thing. Grace demands repentance. It, pay, it demands having something come into your life and transform you away out of that, that situation towards something which is healthier, moving away from something negative, something chaotic, towards something more meaningful. That's, that's a great pro, uh, point you brought up, Amanda, as well as that idea of we always are looking to rely on external arbiters of morality, and that's really something which has happened a lot recently. And even you do see many companies, even YouTube, a lot of people want to, to really point at YouTube for censoring different people and, and whatnot. But if we really look at this, I'm not so sure that YouTube, and I could be completely wrong in this, is the one who is doing it as, as opposed to they're doing it as a proxy of the mob mentality and culture. I don't know that YouTube itself is the, the true arbiter of all of this um, drive, but I do think there is a mob mentality which overlaps into YouTube where we have the mob mentality which wants to be the external arbiter of morality. So, like, for instance, in this case, you just, well, everybody's mad at me, so I throw out an apology and we move along. The mob demands it, so we're going to comply with it. And again, YouTube, whenever the mob demands things of YouTube, they want to comply with that too. It's There's this external mob mentality in our culture where instead of being rational and actually having a solid value system, we're, ex we're relying on these external arbiters of morality. Anthony, what are your thoughts on this whole situation? Well, uh, my thoughts are mostly concerning YouTube. Um, personally, I feel like, you know, they're their own corporation, their own website. I think that they, sh they should be able to censor whatever they want to. So long as they're forthcoming and honest about yeah. what they're doing, I think that they should be allowed to do what, you know, censor whatever they want to within, you know, the legal right. And um, so I don't really, I'm not really bothered by whether or not YouTube should have blocked his ads. But um, I'll also say for Logan Paul, you know, it's not a very good case for him whenever he's, you know, mutilating things and yeah. otherwise filming dead bodies. That's not any good. But um, the... It, uh, it certainly is in poor taste. And yeah. to just build off what you were saying a little bit, companies do, they do operate differently than, than something which is a government agency. However, we should not, again, whether we're looking to government or a corporation, we do not find our, our morality in these external forces. God is the source of morality. We should not idolize these things and say that these are the, the source of morality. But you do bring up an excellent point about they should be forthcoming about who they're censoring because there does seem to be some inconsistency in how they do that. And a lot of times people want to, to point to this along political lines, but I really think it's more along the mob lines. Where is the cultural mob at this point in time in society? And I feel like that's one of the things which really pushes a lot of what's going on. There were some scandals which went on with YouTube back this last fall. They had some uh, videos which were online available which were inappropriate involving children in a very malicious, very dark and evil way. I'm not going to get into it. It was adult content portrayed as children's content. Horrific stuff that was left up for a long time because the mob really hadn't put their aim there yet. And once it got the, the culture's attention, they, they went ahead and pulled it. And so there's this bad problem where the mob is able to manipulate what forces are at play in society, and that's a really bad thing. And we've got to get back to having a personal stance of personal morality in society. So uh, really, I think one of the solutions we have to this is getting back to personal morality, because I think we can all agree that this was in bad taste. Mm -hmm. um, no? Yeah. Okay, so we're, we're all in agreement that this is yeah. bad taste. Mm -hmm. And there's always this need that we, we build up things from the inside with nice personal morality, and that is how we go out 
and we make the world a better place. We don't just wait to see mm-hmm. what the mob tells us that we do. We build personal morality there. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, some people might be, like, upset at YouTube for doing this. You know, I'm sure the followers of Logan Paul, who weren't too appalled by what took place, I'm sure that they're like, you know, man, he shouldn't be missing out a million dollars a month, you know. But again, you know, my point is, like, there's some other medium that he could use out there somewhere to shoot his videos, and, you know, that might just be tough luck for him, but YouTube is their own website. I think that, you know, they should be able to reserve the right. And again, you know, just so long as they're honest about what they're doing, which is kind of funny because it's like, you know, should I have to tell, should I have to say that they should be honest about what they're doing? But um, they're not always, not everyone is. But, um, you know, just so long as they're honest, I think that they should have the right to do what they want with their own property and their business. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And which takes us to the next sort of level is the whole idea with the monetization because we're we're we are a, a new startup channel at the time of the making of this video and um, we have a budget of zero we're all <laughs> we do not make a million dollars a month <laughs> certainly not and, and for the future reference anybody feeling a call to ministry do not be expecting that um, we fund this all out of the the goodness of our hearts and out of our, our spare time to make this happen uh, which that being said, if you do enjoy the program, please subscribe and share it and build our viewership. Uh, but the question is, when somebody makes a mistake, should they pay the price of their whole life being taken away from them? Should their livelihood be stripped from them? Because this is a theme we've seen lately. And again, it appears that it happens over political lines, and it is connected to politics. But I think politics is the medium in which the mob of the modern age is taking place. We've seen mobs all the way back in the ancient world. There was a mob that took Jesus to the cross. There are mobs which come up, and sometimes they're in political clothes, sometimes they're in other things. That's where they're at now. But this mob mentality is a bad thing, and I just want to have y'all's thoughts. Do you think someone should lose their whole livelihood over one mistake, or do you think if they're genuinely repentant that that should not happen? What do you think, Amanda? Um, I think there's not a, a quick or easy answer to that, only because... I, no, I don't think Logan Paul should be strung up you know, by his fingernails and, and beaten in the town square or anything like that. Um, and it becomes, I guess, a little bit more weird because this is not, it's not a legal issue. He didn't technically do anything illegal. Um, so there's no like structured body that is presiding over him. It is the mom mentality. And I think that's the thing that as Christians, especially when we feel like we're standing up against somebody, whether it's evil or just stupid and we're, we're in the right, it's very easy to get caught up in that mom mentality and we want to demand justice. And so we have to see, does the punishment fit the crime, so to speak? Does all the things that he has done, does that then qualify uh, him to to lose this income? And the truth is because he is kind of just this this probably flash in the pan, pop star, pop culture star, um, he will go on and live probably a fairly productive life outside of this YouTube. So this by no means is ending his life or his livelihood. But we have to be careful because it is it is easy to get mad at, especially politicians or people who are in the limelight. And when they fall, they fall hard and they're almost condemned to this life of, of continually being reminded of an action that they've done once upon a time. And so, again, we have to be careful because sometimes when we feel justified in our mom mentality, we think then, you know, it's OK. And we end up actually becoming uh, more of a problem or feeding into the problem than actually providing justice or any kind of corrective behavior that would move culture and people into a better place. 
So we have to be careful when we demand justice, how we're doing that and then how we're implementing it, not just at that one point of the incident, but in the future. Very good. Anthony, do you have any thoughts? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, there's a lot of things about the way that the majority of people react to things that I think we would all like to change, including forgiveness. Um, In this case specifically, I'm not sure that he necessarily deserves much, you know, because he can use some other medium. I'm sure that there's another medium he can resort to, and and especially of advertisement as well. And, you know, I'm also sure that if people still want to watch him, he's not going to have any trouble. Yep. You know, and his whole his whole income is constituted on whether or not people do want, or I don't know if it's his whole income, but that income is constituted on, on whether or not people want to see him, you know? Yeah. So it might be a little cruel or whatever, but I mean, like, you know, we can't just, like, subsidize just any TV show. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't, I don't expect the, the majority of people to do, do that either, you know? Do I think that, like, if I met this guy, would I treat him terribly? No. I mean, like, you know, I might be a little bit weary of him, but... I'm not going to, like, completely condemn him or anything in person, you know? I'd just be like, hey, man, you know, like, what was all that about? And hopefully he'd give a pretty good explanation and I could forgive him for it, you know? <laughs> but, I mean, I really, you know, I have no real beef with him anyway, so I think that it was in poor taste, but there's a lot of things that happened in poor taste, so. Yeah, and I think that's a, a good place to leave that for now. All right, so in our next segment, we're going to be doing Hot or Not with Church History, so hang around for that. So for this segment, we're going to be doing some church history through hot or not. In this segment, we will examine two items from church history. They may be saints, doctrines, or any substantial feature from church history. We will present an overview of each item and then go around our studio here asking if these are hot theological inspirations or not. And you at home, you can decide for yourself. In rare cases, when we cannot decide if an item is hot or not, it may be sanctified. This is only to be used in the rarest of cases. And for today... We will be looking at two items. The first being St. Valentine. As Valentine's Day is coming up close, we'll be talking about that. And then we'll also be talking about a finger, which is a relic. We'll be talking about some bone relics and all of that. But to get into this, let's cut back to Amanda, who's gone back to talk with Athanasius, our resident anchorite. All right, so today we're going to be talking about St. Valentine. So we've decided to consult our resident anchorite, which is someone who is willingly walled up for reflection and penance. And so we're here with Athanasius. And uh, Athanasius has been with us for about 12 or 1300 years. It's been so long we've lost the records. But anyways, he's been here a while, so he should be an expert on St. Valentine. Athanasius, do you have something for us? Oh, um, I don't think we need your junk mail. Uh, no, I'm looking for something about St. Valentine. Oh, here we go. Okay. Thank you, Athanasius. So we'll be reading this and looking more into it and talking about St. Valentine, so stay tuned. All right. So that was very nice to go out there and and see our resident anchorite. One thing for sure, though, Athanasius has quite the mess. I realize he's been walled up for over a thousand years. That's an unbelievable feat in and of itself. (laughs) He has quite the mess going on around there. Somebody needs to go out there and clean that up for him, but I guess when you're walled up with a tiny window, you don't really 
know what all's going on. So anyways, moving past the whole issue of the Anchorite thing itself, we'll get there later. Let's talk a bit about St. Valentine. Of course, St. Valentine's Day is near, but a lot of people aren't familiar with the legends around St. Valentine. And this gets quite interesting because there are actually several accounts of different Christian saints who are called Valentine. And pretty much they all are martyrs from the 3rd century. The most notable account is of a minister who was arrested a couple of times for converted people to Christianity, was also marrying Christian couples. There's an element of the, the love thing that we get from that idea of marriage, and this was done so that husbands did not have to go off to war. And this Valentine was also giving aid to just Christians in general being persecuted. But there's a few more details in this story, and I'm going to go ahead and let Anthony share us this story. Legend has it that this Valentine was under house arrest with a judge. The judge's daughter was blind, and the judge asked Valentine what he should do to help his daughter. Valentine told him that if he was able to help the judge's daughter, then the judge would agree to whatever Valentine requested. Valentine placed his hands on the girl's eyes, and her vision was restored. The judge broke all the idols in his house, fasted for three days, and was baptized, along with his entire family and household, which had about 44 members. The newly converted judge released all of his Christian prisoners. He always refused to renounce his faith, his faith and was arrested again, eventually martyred on February 14th. Valentine, that is. The year is contested for his death. Okay, so that is the story of, of St. Valentine. Thank you much for reading that, Anthony. Of course, whenever Athanasius passes on from this life, we're going to have to find a new person to wall up out there. And I actually think, Anthony, he does a good job reading things. He may not make a bad anchorite. <laughs> you know, think man, I could spend maybe like two weeks being housed up over there, enjoy the church services, and, you know, yeah. maybe someone come by and ask think for prayer, it. but... Are, are you convicted to be walled up? <laughs> All right, so seriously, let's talk about St. Valentine because it's an interesting story. There are other accounts of people named St. Valentine. They're basically all Christian martyrs. We don't know much about them. Now, the Valentine, which we just shared the story of, that was in house arrest. He, he heals a, a judge's daughter. There's actually archaeological evidence to support his existence, and that gets a little bit hairy, and the details are, are out there. We'll discuss that at another time. But for now, what do we think of this saint, St. Valentine, hot, not, or sanctified? We all hear about Valentine's Day. Amanda, what are your thoughts on Valentine and his healing of the judge's daughter? I think it's really interesting we're doing hot and not on Valentine's, um, especially, I guess, with all the different connotations you can get with all the words I just said. Um, but I think an interesting part of his story is um, that he heals this daughter, and some retellings of the story um, has her as a child. I think that's probably one of the, the older versions. And newer version has her as an adult so that there can be some kind of like love story between her and Valentine. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit. We, there's this movement of where we want to kind of over-romanticize everything. And yet St. Valentine's story, um, all of them, uh, like Dylan said, there's, there's several different versions and different people who may have taken up this role as Valentine or known as Valentine. But the purpose of the story is not romance it, it, it is about um loving people um not again not as in a romantic way not but just uh, being compassionate and caring and and so for saint valentine in this story and in this context he definitely is um or the story i guess we can say is hot because it is something that should inspire us to to be good people and to help when we can and even when the culture and the laws and the world around us tells us to do one thing, we're called to do something better. Very good. Anthony, your thoughts? 
Uh, I actually li- I like this one a whole lot just because, like, you know, um, mainly the efforts towards glorifying God and trans- transformation. You know, this was done, obviously, um, with the purpose in mind of bringing transformation to people's lives and to glorify God, you know. So for that purpose, I definitely put my stamp of hot on this Saint Valentine. Yeah, very good. I like that love and logos theme there. We get the orderly transformation and a very good depiction of love. And my thoughts on this, I'm going to say hot on St. Valentine. And the reason why I would say that is mostly because we look in a world where so many people look to government for God. We, we have this idea that the government is this all-powerful thing, which is sort of misaligned. Valentine is actually living in the house of a judge on house arrest. If you can just imagine in, in the belly of the beast, he's, he's there in a belly of the beast situation. And he's not slowed down by it. And he even has sort of this like ultimate, you could say, wager with the judge that says, if I'm able to help your your daughter, if the power of Christ comes in and we're able to help your daughter, you're going to do whatever I ask you to do. And of course, he uses this basically saying this is an ultimatum. If there's something real to the kingdom of God, you and your whole family will be converted. He stands up to the government, the forces which are killing, persecuting Christians in the man's home. And I think that's just awesome. And now just for a few other things on that. So I think we all have agreed that St. Valentine is hot. Uh, but I would like to get into just a few details of why we associate love with this. Uh, during the 3rd century, century in Rome, Rome was heavily persecuting Christians. We don't know exactly what year Valentine died, but it, it's attributed to the middle of February, February 14th. And of course, in this legend is that he was marrying Christian couples so they wouldn't have to go into the to the army, the husbands wouldn't, and again, that's because they were persecuting the the Christians. There's a reason they were trying to keep them out of, of being perpetuators of, of people who were killing, basically, their... Long story short, um, it's not what you would think. It's not like people who are dodging um, military service or anything like that. It, it, there's actually a little bit more context with that. But the marrying of couples thing is the really the theme there. However, another reason why we associate love with... St. Valentine is because in the medieval world, there was a belief that birds, they begin mating in the middle of February. So somewhere in the middle of February, birds start mating. February 14th, it's the middle of February. And on the Feast of Valentine, there's this idea that couples are starting to come together. The birds are coming together. So there's this medieval tradition of love in the middle of February. And that is also just a correlation that happened that got a little bit more merged as time went on. So that's the history of St. Valentine as we are getting close to that. We all agreed that it's it's hot. Um, before we move along, though, there's this one thing that I would like us to bring up. Amanda said something really interesting about how people want to over-romanticize everything. Sometime in the future, we're probably going to do a whole uh, podcast around this theme. There's really We have lost this ability for healthy friendships in the modern world. Everybody wants to say, oh, it's a, it's a bromance, it's a, it's a relationship, there's something going on weird. And it's ruined both real romantic relationships and also the idea of friendships. It's, it's cr- crippled both of those as the lines have tried to get blurred and wedged, wedged um, in different directions. There is a role for love that is, is transcendent to the idea of just the eros love. And that's something which is really important. But let's not spend a lot of time on that for now. Let's keep going with Hot or Not and let's talk about bone relics. So Anthony, would you tell us a little bit about bone relics? Throughout church history, people have been collecting relics, giving notoriety to items as having some special relevance. 
For some, they view the relic as having mystical and supernatural abilities. For others, their connection to the past. It's not uncommon for people to keep bone relics. Going back to the Middle Ages, peoples have been collecting bone fragments of saints with the intent of preserving them and preventing them from being lost to time. They have been given as gifts, put on display, and even fought over. When people could not read or write, they could come to the relic, involve themselves with the kingdom of God. An example of bone relics are the relics associated with St. Anne, who is Jesus' grandmother. This is Mary's mother. There are several bone fragments of St. Anne in our world. A portion of her finger bone is in existence, as well as a forearm fragment. Um, well, I'm going to go with not. Even though I think relics in general uh, is something that we need to approach very carefully. They're kind of like icons. The idea and tradition behind them have been lost, especially in the Protestant uh, movement. Um, we have seen in the past where they have been misused to manipulate people. So we've kind of thrown them all out. But um, they, they can serve as a purpose of teaching or preserving our history. And so that definitely is good. But um, there is something quite uh, intriguing and almost uh, unsettling about having a, a bone fragment. Um, it's kind of like sometimes you'll pass a church that has the graveyard in the back of it. It makes sense, but then it, it's just it's weird. Um, I went to a church where the graveyard, you had to walk through the graveyard to get to the playground. Um, so it's just one of those things that stays in the back of your brain. As very odd. So maybe it's not not, but it, it, I don't know. I'll go with interesting. All right. Uh, but that was more leaning not. <laughs> yeah. We'll say that. It's leaning in that direction. Anthony? All right. So whenever we were putting this together, I made it pretty clear. No, I do not think that this is very hot at all. This is quite nasty, actually. Especially, as we brought up a picture earlier showing the bone fragment and... You know, this this building, absolutely beautiful. And then you get back to this pretty nasty bone fragment that's super old. And no, I don't find this to be anything that could be attractive at all. But I do think that it could serve some sort of purpose, especially for the, for the purpose of remembrance. But I would really prefer to keep just about anything else, you know, not part of their body if we could find it. But, um... As far as that goes. And they can be abusive, so I'm going to put a not on this one. All right, so my thoughts on, on this are, it's interesting. Again, when people can't read or write, there are interesting ways of them to get involved in the, the kingdom of God. Uh, but I'm tempted to say not, <laughs> but it is sort of, it's interesting. I'm tempted to say it's sanctified. Um, <laughs> seeing how bones are venerated the same way saints are venerated. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm kind of torn between the two. I'm going to go out, go out there and go on the limb and say sanctified. Um, we'll move along from there. And we'll, we'll wrap up Hot Not or Sanctified right now. And on that, we'll come back with our devotional for our, our final segment today. devotional. This Sunday is Transfiguration Sunday. It is the last Sunday of the Ordinary Time uh, season, and uh, the next season is Lent, which will begin on Ash Wednesday, which will be this upcoming Wednesday. Um, 
And so one of the texts, of course, the story of transfiguration is found in Mark, but one of the complementary texts is found in 2 Corinthians. And it's going to talk to us about this connection with Moses. So if you um, want to look this up in your own Bibles, it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'll be reading verses 12 and then into chapter 4 through verses 6. So chapter 3, 12 through chapter 4, verse 6. And the text reads, Since then we have such hope, we act with great boldness, not like Moses who put on a veil over his face to keep the people of Israel from gazing at the end of the glory that was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. Indeed, to this very day, when they hear the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil is still there, since only in Christ it is set aside. Indeed, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image. I have lost it, I'm sorry. Being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. And it's quite a long passage, and actually the lectionary has a much shorter segment, but you really have to read that passage in its fullest context to understand it. And that is the theme that God has always been redeeming. God has always been love. And that's something we have to be careful of, especially when reading Old Testament and New Testament passages. We, we create this false dichotomy in our minds that somehow God was different, interacted with the world differently. But anyways, the gospel, the good news of transformation has been proclaimed since the foundations uh, of the earth were laid. And yet people have only caught a glimpse at the heart of God. Israel, the people of God, saw the might and authority of God at Mount Sinai, but even then they had no personal interaction with Yahweh. Their encounter God was mediated through their leader Moses, and even then Moses had to veil his face because God's glory was just too much for the people. And then something truly magnificent happened. The Word became flesh and walked amongst the people. God's love and power was no longer hid behind a curtain or demonstrated it just through laws and rituals. Jesus, fully God and fully human, was the living, breathing revelation of God. And so what was this revelation? What was this veiled gospel now made plain? It is this, that God and humanity could live in perfect relationship with one another. Each human can be made righteous with God, humanity, creation, and even within themselves. Transformation is not just something that will affect a religious part of people's lives. It's not just something that gets practiced on Sundays or Wednesdays. But this kind of transformation impacts every aspect, and that every aspect can be dedicated to God. 
And this is something interesting in the last part of it that says that the same God who spoke light into darkness, the same God who was creating order out of chaos at the beginning of creation is the same one who every day speaks light and order into the chaos of our own lives. And we don't have to seek secret wisdom or hoard knowledge. Instead, it is freely given and so abundantly so that it spills out of our lives, illuminating our world. We are transformed, glory unto glory. Glory that is not for ourselves, but that can be our own. Because we have been transformed into the same character, love, and attitude that is found in Christ Jesus. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Amanda. And we're going to go ahead and wrap up our program today. Again, you can find our free podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or CastBox. Personally, I really like CastBox. And... Please download us and take us with you wherever you go. And if you really enjoy the program, please leave a comment or please leave us a review. Take a copy, a link to our program and share it with people. You know that will help us out tremendously. If you want to help us out, please do help us out in the just simple manner of sharing our content. And on, on that note, we are Nazarene ministers, but the Church of the Nazarene, I should, should clarify that. And a lot of times people ask me, sometimes you see me with the clergy calling on. It sort of depends on what activities of the week are going on. We do hope that you enjoyed our program, and please have a blessed day.